We're a bit later in doing a recording this week. Yes. How comes? Well, we were at a book festival thing mm. in Ulladulla oh, over true. the weekend. Yeah, Story Fest. Story Fest. That was quite interesting. You were one of the guest speakers on a panel. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was talking about entangling, disentangling <laughs> fact from fiction <laughs> All in right. historical novels. So, yeah. Well, I guess we'd better do the same here then, disentangle some fact <laughs> from fiction. <laughs> we're going to talk about a big, big report. It's actually a case study, detailed case study of a problem in a building oh, yeah. um, in Sydney. And, and then we're going to talk about artificial intelligence and what it might mean for apartment blocks. And I think that's going to give us pretty much all we need for this week's podcast. So we'd better get on with it. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I write the flat chat column for the Australian Financial Review. And I'm Sue Williams, and I write about property for Domain. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. So, uh, you might be aware, David Chandler, the building commissioner's office, uh, commissioned what they're calling a case study of what happened with one building in Rosebury in Sydney. And uh, the building's called Auto 2. Okay. And uh, has it had problems or something? Or? Yeah. Well, yeah, this is the whole thing. It's, it's how it started having problems and what happened with the problems and how it just seemed to get deeper and deeper and deeper into a mess. Um, feels familiar, really. does, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. So the case study, this report, is called Broken Promises, Blame Games and Balconies. Mm. Um, It's written by Bronwyn Weir, who is an eminent lawyer who's an expert in building regulations, etc., and was the co-author of the Shergill Weir report, which oh, right, yeah. which is quite iconic, I suppose. Mm. Uh, it was a <laughs> it's a blueprint for what to do in apartment development, which has been until recently largely ignored by the mm. government, but now is it's taken as a kind of touchstone for how things should be. Fantastic. So she wrote this report. The project was originally the Sydney Christian Life Centre wanted to build a church. And they bought some land off the state government to do that. But local opposition meant that it was never built. Okay. So they decided that they would build a couple of apartment blocks there. Mm. They contacted a a well-known developer called Capital Developments or something like that. And they in turn passed the development on to Icon. Does that name ring a bell to you? Is that the same people as at Sydney Olympic Park? The Opal Tower. Yes. The famous evacuation. Mm. That was icon. So they built the two tower blocks, Auto 1 and Auto 2. They had the standard strata management arrangement of one year initially and then three years maximum after that. So Auto 1 continued with their original strata managers. But Auto 2 were not happy about the pursuit of defects or lack thereof. Mm. So they got a different strata manager. Okay, so did both towers have defects in? Well, we can assume. Yeah. Yeah. But the one that had the the most serious or the, the one that's got everybody's attention is Auto 2. So I think they had various little things, a variety of, of uh, significance, um, some serious and some not so serious. But then they got their own inspection done of the building and the inspector said, you're 
balcony balustrades are not safe. Oh, no. Which would ring a bell with you as well. Mm, we had the similar problem in our building yeah. too. So the building inspector said the balcony balustrades weren't safe and residents should be instructed not to go on their balconies. Oh, gosh. The developers said there's nothing wrong with the balcony balustrades. Um, so you're asking us to fix something that doesn't need fixing. Mm. And then it just spins out of control with constant back and forth, lawyers getting involved, um, obviously, on both sides, people digging their heels in. And at one point, the office of the building commissioner offered to intervene, to, to mediate. Mm. Um, but I think it was the strata manager said, there's no need for you to do that here. We're in the middle of litigation. I, I think basically the lawyers, all the lawyers said, we don't need you. We're sorting this out ourselves. And it's mm -hmm. inappropriate for you to intervene in something that's already in court. The end of the day, to get these balustrades fixed, the litigation on both sides cost over $2 million. Oh, no. Way, way above the cost of just fixing the thing. Oh, gosh. And at the end of the day, the Office of the Building Commissioner did get involved because during the course of all this, the new laws came in, the RAB Act, the Residential Apartment Building Act, uh, came in, which gave a lot of power to the Building Commissioner that he didn't have before. Sure. So uh, they were able to intervene and kind of push them towards a resolution. So the the owners corporation got money. Because did they win their case? Did the court deem that there were the balconies? I don't know if they actually got. I think they they settled before. Yeah, mm. but it's interesting that this report comes out and says. That they first noticed, or they were first told they shouldn't use the balconies, I think, in 2019. Mm. And in February this year, they were still not allowed to use the balconies. Oh, wow. So four years, they couldn't go out in the balconies of their apartments. And as well, that means it's really hard for any investors to let out their apartments to tenants because they wouldn't be able to use the balconies. Also, nobody would be able to sell their apartments if they wanted to because, mm. you know, the price would be would tumble, really. Yeah. And, of course, you've just got the lifestyle problems. You know, you're going through COVID and you're not allowed to use your balcony and go outside. Mm. That's oh, horrendous. And it's just a disaster. It's interesting that this report, which uh, we'll, we'll put a link to it on the, the show notes to go with this podcast. I mean, it is – I've described it as granular, the detail – the level of detail is quite incredible. Some of the participants refused to take part, like the owners corporation lawyers had a couple of meetings with the building commissioner, uh, his office, and with uh, Bronwyn Weir, I think, or and certainly the minutes of those meetings were passed over to her, and they said they hadn't realised that the details of the meetings were going to be reported and so they withdrew their permission for their comments to be, you know. I mean, th this is something that, that would be great to educate everybody about defects, mm. wouldn't it, really? Mm. So for people to be, you know, looking after their own s small patch seems ridiculous. Yeah, and you look at this thing and you realise there are several points in this where people could have just gone, let's just sort this out. Mm. You know, the developers. Now, the developers went into receivership, uh, or at least the developers of that special, what's it called, special purpose vehicle, 
which is where they create one entity just to, right. to build one. So the developers, the icon, the form of icon that were in that special purpose vehicle, they went into receivership. They changed their name to their ABN number mm. so that the wow. name icon would not be seen to be in receivership because icon was still building elsewhere. Sure. And it's all, it's all that kind of, it just no, is transparency. It's, it's a lack of transparency. Mm. It's the whole smoke and mirrors thing. And, you know, the new icon, which has some of the same directors as the old icon, say they've got nothing to do with the old icon and they're not responsible for their defects, even though they have said that they would assist in remediation. And you get a real picture of why people are so have been so suspicious of buying apartments off the plan. Mm. When you look at this and you and people say, oh, there's all the legal infrastructure is there to protect you. It's not. Mm. Uh, it is now to a much greater extent. Well, hopefully because David Chandler is going in and inspecting these buildings as they're going up, hopefully they're not being built with the same defects. But for those buildings that have already been built and do have terrible defects, it's, it's an appalling situation. They have this thing called Project Intervene, which mm. is for buildings that are less than six years old, which is still covered by the warranty legislation. And the Office of, of Fair Trading the, and the Office of the Building Commissioner will intercede and give people advice and negotiate on their behalf, I believe, with developers to get them back into the building to fix stuff that needs to be fixed, which is great for those relatively new buildings, um, the ones that are under six years old. It's terrific because as we know, as we're constantly hearing, and it certainly was the case in Auto 2, most of the owners had no idea what their rights or responsibilities were. And that's just such a typical story right mm. across strata, everywhere across Australia. People are buying into apartment blocks and they've got no idea what they're getting into and they've got no idea what the problems might be or certainly how to fix them when they occur. Sure. And now has Auto 2 been fixed? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, they've got the money to, to fix the balustrades. but mm. uh, And I think... There's a bit of concern around that the the money they've got could be used to initiate further legal action, which I think the office of of the building commissioner would be very annoyed about if that mm. was the, to sure. happen. It's understandable, though, isn't it? Because you get so angry, you really want to punish the people who have put you through this terrible situation. Absolutely, even if it's not in your own interests, it's just. Um, you know, when, when people have taken advantage of you in your own home yeah. and it's had such a terrible effect on you and your lifestyle and that of your family, mm. you just kind of want to get even. Yeah. And that's what lawyers want to hear, isn't it, really? Yeah. They just yeah. they want to deal with angry people who want to spend their money. That's and the five favourite words. Five favourite words that a lawyer wants to hear is it's a matter of principle. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's David going to do with this case study now? Well, he's trying to get people to read it. Mm. You know, he's trying to get it out there. And, and in some ways, it's a little bit counterintuitive because his crusade at the moment is to convince people that it's worth taking the risk to buy apartments off the plan. Mm. And so that, that money keeps coming into the apartment industry and apartments are getting built, but without 
the high risk that we've known for years. And this report kind of highlights all the risks. So Mm. in a way, it's undermining what he's trying to do. But his argument is it actually shows you the, the kind of problems you can avoid and how these things can be resolved now that they couldn't be resolved in the That's past. Right. So you can go in with clear eyes, really. But one of the elements of this that uh, fascinated me, because I've always thought, you know, that, that that David Chandler came in and said, uh, you know, the government wanted him to sort out the certification thing and make sure that certifiers were much more diligent and professional and reliable in the uh, when they were covering buildings or they're signing off in buildings and there's uh, there's figures here the original auto 2 certifier based on the legal requirements that they had at that time charged $41,000 for certifying the building mm. He says that under the current legislation, that bill would be three hundred and forty thousand. <gasps> right? Wow. Yeah. So, and and on the, this building, that would mean the cost of certification went up from three hundred dollars per unit to two thousand three hundred and seventy-seven. Wow. Per unit. Gosh. Which sounds like a huge deterrent against having a more reliable and diligent certification process. However, David Chandler says because it wasn't properly certified, they ended up with the owners spending more than 750000 in legal and expert fees and the developers adding in their legal and expert opinion fees, bringing up the total cost combined to $2.5 million, which works out at $17,500 per unit. Wow. So if it had been properly certified in the first place, it would have been a lot cheaper. It would have cost them, you, you can say, mm-hmm. $2,300, mm. and that would have saved them $17,500. Yeah. yeah. So that, okay, so that would get... sorting out the system now means that it's so much more efficient. It just works better. Yeah, and more reliable. Mm. And, you know, you and as we constantly say on this podcast, it costs 10 times as much to fix problems once the building's finished as it does to fix them while you're building it. Mm. So, uh, you know, that's another object lesson in spending a little bit more money to save a lot more and Mm. also save all that, as we know only too well, the emotional grief, the Mm. pain, the strain of having to go through these things and the misery of not being able to step out on your own balcony. Mm. Oh, absolutely. It's interesting in some of the summaries at the end of the report, some of the people who didn't want to take part, uh, a lot of the owners didn't want to take part, and they believe it's partly because they were just sick of it. Mm. They were just sick of it. They didn't want to talk about it anymore. They just wanted it to be fixed. Uh, The lawyers didn't want to take part. The strata managers Mm. either didn't respond or declined to take part. But one of the things that came out was the bond, you know, the building bond that, mm. that was going to save the industry a few oh, years yeah. ago. Yeah. Was it 6% or Two. something? 2%. Oh, 2%. 2% of the final cost. Mm. And everybody's saying it's just not enough mm. and it's too hard to get it back. It's too complicated. It's just a kind of half-baked system 
that was never going to work anyway. And, and we all knew instinctively that 2% was not this going to be nothing. enough for, mm. for a lot of buildings. And we also knew that builders would just factor that into the, the cost of the apartments anyway. So it wasn't going mm. to deter them from dodgy work. Sure. Yep. So yeah, it's a really interesting report. It's <laughs> like I say, it's more than 30 pages. Very, very detailed, but kind of like a, a bit of a parable of, you know, how you can <laughs> not do mm. the right thing and how it just gets worse and worse and worse. And of course, the only people who benefit in all this are the lawyers. Yeah. And so were you talking about getting David um, into the podcast maybe next week and I'm having hoping, a chat about this? Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping we'll get him on here good. next week and yeah. uh, he can answer some of these questions. But I've written about it for this week's um, column in the AFR. And, uh, you know, I, I think I rewrote the thing about four times because it's so detailed. Mm. You kind of, if you end up going, look, I can just skim the surface here. Sure. And people can read it on their own. When we come back, we're going to talk about something that's maybe a bit more positive, And that is artificial intelligence in apartment buildings. That's after this. It's funny when you said talk about something more positive, and I thought, oh, he's not going to talk about AI. <laughs> <laughs> All because right. Because I yeah. keep thinking, I keep thinking really negatively about AI, just because I'm a writer and I've seen how Chat GPT can um, emulate good writing and create good writing and stuff, and it makes me feel really threatened. Well, I, I mean, what I'm reading about Chat GPT is that it will emulate competent writing. <laughs> It will not. Yes. It will not emulate good or great writing, mm. um, because that needs the the little bit of um, grey matter that we. Yeah, have I mean, I was just reading yet. Mark Twain the other day, funnily enough, and how he 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 used a phrase, you know, entertaining people in um, bars and saying you can feed them and you can smoke them. Now, it's. <laughs> It's his use of language there, which we know is not literally correct, mm. but you get the impression. Very colourful. Very yep. colourful, yeah. Yep. So yep. so uh, I'm not worried too much about AI. I'm trying to think of ways I can use it to make my life easier. <laughs> but well, in buildings. Course, in the apartment buildings, it could be really useful because there's companies appearing now talking about how AI can really help the workings of apartment buildings. Right. And it's things like aggregating building data, okay. so kind of working out, you know, how to optimise performance of buildings. Right. And it will be things like, um, say, using energy not at peak times, using mm. energy off-peak. Yeah. And so bringing down everybody's bills, using water off-peak as well, bringing down people's bills. And like, say, in our building, in our car park, we've got fans that come on at particular times, which are kind of peak times, yeah. to try and dissipate the fumes um, and I think that's kind of the, the 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 fans are said at certain times that we know are peak times. You know, in the morning. Well, we think people, are peak times. Yeah, the morning people are going out, nighttime people are coming back in. But with AI, they'd be able to kind of come on instantly whenever you know fumes got to a certain level and mm. switch off instantly as soon as fumes dissipated a bit. Or it could be that the artificial intelligence in the computer that runs the building actually works out how often the doors open and close to let vehicles in. Mm. So, yep. you know, that's probably a simpler way of working out how 
Not if they're electric vehicles, do you mean? Well, they've still got to open the door. Yes, but if they're oh, electric vehicles and oh, coming they're, in, they're, they're, not, they're, they're not creating causing, fumes. Uh, but then true. again, maybe the AI will be smart enough to be able to recognize EVs yeah. um, and distinguish them from regular cars. And I mean, the, talking about electric vehicles, I mean, that's one of the things that are, is already in some of the electric vehicle charging systems. Like you, if you had, you know, a dozen EV charging links hooked up and they're all working at the same time, the systems that exist at the moment, they do, they'll deliver the power equally to the vehicles. But as soon as one vehicle is charged, mm. then it switches to another to the other point. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, and, and boosts the power that they're getting. Mm. And they also works out the peak usage in the building, which tends to be apparently between five and seven o'clock in the evening, people come home to switch on the air conditioning, uh, switch on their TVs, start cooking, switch on their extractor fans and all that stuff. Mm. And that's in, in some of these buildings, if you put your car on charge, it just, it's not getting charged <laughs> at that time because there's a limit to the amount of electricity you can mm. pump into any one building. Um, so, you know, that, that, AI is already working to some extent. But I have this vision. You're driving back to your apartment block. You press the electronic key. The gate opens. The lift gets cold. Yep, sure. At the yep. same time. Yep. The aircon in your flat turns on. The, and your lights. The lights come on. The bath starts running. <laughs> the kettle gets switched on. The coffee machine starts the heating up. The dinner cooks. The oven switches on. Basically, whatever you want, it will be ready for you. So that's true. Yeah. Well, that that sounds a lot more attractive than yeah. Or than even you come in I the front thinking. door and the lift is called mm. to you know and takes you to your floor. Mm. I think that's uh, and you know you don't have to fiddle around with you know you use one key once at the front door to get in. And it's already calling the lift, and the lift is already programmed to take you to your floor and no yeah. other floor. And maybe it would just read your irises, and so yeah. you wouldn't need to remember your keys at all. Yeah. So um, everything would be absolutely automatic. But it's got to be very clever. I mean, we were just talking about this on the forum the other day, about um, your people uh, – Trying to deter people, <laughs> it's actually about sex workers in apartment blocks. I said, look, it's not the sex workers, it's the problem, it's the clients. And if you deter the clients, then, you know, that's, that's the thing. So you put cameras up so that people know they're being photographed or filmed. Yeah. And then maybe you build that into the entry system so that the camera on the entry system has to see a face. Now mm -hmm. we have that already. We can see when people buzz, um, on the intercom. And somebody wrote in and said, well, people get very good at just covering their faces with a baseball. Hoodie and a yeah, yeah. mask and things. But there are entry systems now that will recognize a face, i.e. they will say this is a human face, but not necessarily identify the person. Oh, they're, okay. they're set up to recognize, mm. okay, this is a genuine human being who mm. is not trying to disguise their looks, mm. but they won't actually register who that person is. Having said that, there are systems now that are so sophisticated that you would just, you could program in friends and family who would just come to the intercom, press the button, and it would let them in because you've programmed that to allow certain faces to, to come into the block. Mm. So I think it's generally advantageous. Yeah. 
And I think probably commercial real estate is using it a lot more than residential real estate so far. But residential will follow the lead of commercial. Hmm. You know, because commercial, they kind of want to optimize the number of lifts that are being used all the time, that kind of thing. Yeah. And also, they're doing lots and lots of remote monitoring of spaces to see which spaces are used the most. So, therefore, they can kind of introduce more meeting spaces or introduce more quiet spaces depending on people's use of them. Right. And that's going to happen much more in residential, I think, from now on. You know, it's interesting because re- residential apartments, we often have little spaces that are never used for much. Mm. Um, but when we kind of look at how people are using their homes, we might be able to say, well, that that big storeroom that nobody's ever used, we should fit that out as a working from home office and mm. people might be able to use that in that way. Mm. Um, that, that part of the garden that nobody really uses, we should put out some chairs and tables and people could go and work out mm. there as well. Um, so there's kind of lots of uses mm. for, for that information gathering really. Yeah. And once you've worked out what people are doing, then you can work out how the building can operate more effectively and efficiently. I think some people, just as you're freaked out by the idea of computers writing stories that you would otherwise be doing, (laughs) I think some people would be freaked out by the idea that every move they make is uh, monitored by a computer. Yeah, but you could just use you could just do that for two weeks. You could tell everybody it was an experiment for two weeks and then that two weeks could be the blueprint for the rest of the year. Mm. And then the next January, you could do it again for the to see how uses of space have changed. Mm. I think uh, people who live in apartments have always been monitored by somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah somebody hanging out the window, yeah. well, peeking true. from behind the lace. <laughs> Just call the computer Mrs. McClucky and <laughs> people will get used to it. All right. I think we've given that one a good kick around and uh, here we are half an hour into a podcast that I thought we wouldn't have enough to talk about. So uh, uh, I'd better get on with editing it. Thanks, Sue, for your contribution as ever. Pleasure to me. And um, thank you for listening. And maybe, we hope, next week we'll be talking to David Chandler about the case study. Great. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Wrap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flatchat.com.au. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Flat Chat Wrap with a W, click on subscribe, and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again. Talk to you again next week.